Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City veteran saxophonist Charles Perkins. We had the honor of speaking with him about a great life that he's lived in jazz. He spoke about his time in Kansas City, learning from the greats like Eddie Baker and being influenced by the legend Charlie Parker. He spoke about what is going on lately, what is next for him, and many more tales from his jazz life well lived. So get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. First of all, thank you for taking a little time out for me. I appreciate it. Oh, sure. So I'm going to start out at the top here. I'm assuming you were born and raised in Kansas City, correct? Yeah, Kansas City, Kansas. Kansas City, Kansas. Talk to me about growing up in KCK and kind of how you got into music. It was uh, basically uh, my parents, uh, my mom was an organist and a pianist, uh, and she played in, in churches and she played um, uh, pipe organ, uh, you know, exclusively. Uh, but she also played, you know, old style uh, jazz, uh, the stride, kind of like old style jazz, kind of bluesy, kind of like piano on her off times. And so I was, you know, kind of listening to that. You know, she would practice and have a lot of uh, stuff going on you know, uh, rehearsals and things and and stuff like that was going on. So, I mean, you know, I was just a kid, you know, walking around. And my father, he wasn't, you know, he didn't play no instrument, but he he loved the jazz. He loved the music. You see, they both came up, uh, they were born like 1913 and 1915. So they came up like in the 20s and the 30s. So they was heavily influenced in that time period. You know, that was a you know, very rich time period for uh, uh, music, you know, jazz and everything. And it was, you know, it was the real thing going on at that time, you know, a whole different era than what's going on now. I mean, a whole different era. And, I mean, it was, you know, it was really, you know, and I miss them right now. They're gone now. But, you know, it was like a, you know, a porthole back into that time period because they were telling me about all, the things that they endured and, you know, the styles, you know, of the 30s, you know. I mean, you know, during that time, you know, you dressed a certain way. You know, everybody was trying to look like something, you know. They were had, the, uh, you know, the, the suits on and everything was, you know, it was, it was you know, trying it was trying to look something. Even if you didn't have enough money, you know, or anything, you still had this kind of thing going, you know, and everything. But, uh so I mean, after listening and then see, my father was listening to all the Duke Ellington. Yeah, he was playing records and things and talking about uh, some of the groups and things that when he was out, you know, dating and out and everything that you know groups were playing and he had all that stuff. So I'm so I'm getting all this history about stuff. And so I mean, like I say on the on the stereo console, he's sitting up there, you know, playing Duke Ellington and Count Basie and all this stuff. So I had all that kind of going. I uh, didn't hardly pay too much attention. Well, I did pay attention to it, you know, and but uh, you know, I just wasn't, you know, at that time I really wasn't going to want to be a musician. Which it's, you know, it was there and it was that type of music that was going on. And later on, like when I started going to school, like in oh, what's I think about in the '60s, uh, you know, the the Motown sound thing, you know, with the Temptations and all that stuff was going on, you know, and. We had, you know, all that kind of stuff, and and that was some good music there to listen to because even though it was different than the traditional jazz, I mean, it still swanged and it had that kind of vitality in it that 
you know, they just captured you, you know. And so I was kind of ping-ponging back and forth between those two. So it was, you know, kind of a, you know, a thing going on. So, I, you know, I say my parents was the, the main part, uh, you know, that influenced me all the way, you know, as far as starting you know, my music career, even though my mother did not want me later on to become a musician. This is the funny thing, you know, because she knew it was a hard life. And she's definitely yeah. right, you know. She was the first one that told me, you know, uh, you know, that it was hard. And I was supposed to be going into electronics because I was very curious about stereos, you know, how things worked and everything. And uh, I never will forget, you know, I always knew I had a, you know, a little record player and I want to always see how the thing worked. And I opened up the case and, and I looked down there and I saw this comb. I was kind of curious about how this music is coming out of this box, you know, just kind of curious. And, uh, you know, I kept seeing, I saw this comb, you know, and I said, wow, I said, you mean all that music is coming out of this comb? So I really got interested in speakers, you know, how the speakers were designed and, and everything. And there were, like, so many uh, different types of designs, the basket that, you know, that holds the comb, you know, that we listen to. You know, there was always so many different types of uh, designs that it really was interesting just just gazing at the speakers, let alone listening to them, you know, and you had different magnet designs, you know, small alkaline magnets and uh, things like that. So, I mean, it was just, you know, it was just interesting, you know. So that's how I kind of got started in the thing. And before I got in high school, I was I picked up a, my mother tried to teach me how to play piano, and that didn't work. I mean, it, it held for a little bit, but, you know, I really wasn't that, that interested, you know, until at my last end of uh, elementary, uh, you know, um, a visiting musician came in, and he had a clarinet and a trumpet, and so they were trying, uh, they were, you know, just had to to show all the the people in the school, you know, if there was anybody that was kind of like into music a little bit to kind of err them on, you know, kind of like, you know, and I'll never forget they had the clarinet, and the trumpet sitting on the table, and you know they figured, well, which one would you like to play if you wanted to play one of these two? And I saw that clarinet, and I said, yeah, you know, I think I like this. You know, I, I remember I tried trumpet, but I said, nah, it's kind of hard on the lips. But the clarinet kind of got me kind of started. So, you know, clarinet was the one. So, uh, and also, see, during that time, that school that I was in, that elementary school, it was, it was kind of an old style elementary. Uh, it was called Hawthorne Elementary, and I mean, you, you like when you. I think in that time period, I think most of the schools in that time period were doing that. But you would get up and go to school, and then you had to sing, you know, a pledge to the allegiance of the flag and that kind of stuff like that, you know. So it was kind of like you had to do some singing and some other stuff going on, you know, whether whether you were a musician or not, you know, it was old school type stuff, you know. So uh, you know that kind of mixed into the the thing with me, you know, musically, too, because we were, you know, singing all these, you know, little classical tunes and things, uh, uh, you know, about, you know, America, and I can't remember all the other stuff. I wish I had that book, but uh, unfortunately, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let me ask you this. When did the saxophone get into your jazz diet? That was more like mm, high school, um, basically. Uh, because, you know, I was kind of, you know, 
fooling around with clarinet, but you know, I I was looking. I tell you, I was looking at tele television, and uh, the Lawrence Welk show was popular <laughs> at that time. And uh, I would see these, you know, how they have the classic big band set up with the five saxophones in front and everything. And I saw this, and I was listening, you know. And I saw it. And I said, "Wow, this is interesting." You know, I I saw, you know, the way the, the it looking at the way the saxophone was built and everything, and I was just kind of said, wow, look at the pearls and things like that. This is different than a clarinet, you know, and it kind of got me. And so then my father knew that it was happening. So my father, he had, uh, on his first marriage, he uh, uh, had a child, and he uh, he played alto saxophone. And French horn, you know, and that was kind of a crazy combination going from reed to brass, but, you know, the man did it. <laughs> and so he had an old saxophone up in the in, in my grandmother's closet, and, uh, you know, my you know my father said, you want to, you know, uh, see this saxophone up live? See, you know, and I said, yeah. He said, he said, well, your grandmother's got one. So he took me there, and I saw this saxophone, and I said, wow. You know, I kept fooling with it, and... And then I left it, left it there, and then my kept, every time I went to my grandmother's house, I just kept going up in the attic, you know, fooling with this saxophone. And then my father broke down and said, "Well, you want to bring it home?" I said, "Yeah, we'll bring it." You know, I said, "I'd like to bring it home." So we brought it home, and ever since then, you know, I was really kind of interested. And then I got in high school, uh, and you know, wanted to play it more. And there was a cat named Leon Brady. Uh, uh, he had a you know a stage band. It was popular during that time period. He had a stage band, and it was just exciting. You know, and there was always some big musical events going on and and everything. And I I was digging on that, and I said, yeah, you know. And so I told Brady, I said, can you learn me how to you know play saxophone? You know, and uh, he said, yeah, I could you know teach you a little bit because because he knew I played clarinet a little bit, you know. And, and so, you know, he taught me, and so, you know, it was the uh, the stage band, actually, the Sumner High School stage band. And like I said, they was traveling and going all over, and they were, like, visiting musicians like Clark Terry and and and, and local, uh, you know, saxophone players, cold-blooded ones, uh, like uh, uh, Herman Bell and everything. They were coming in. Uh, and uh, you know, just kind of you know helping the students, you know, and and you know with the you know with the big with the with the stage band and everything, and and they would just inspire you, you know, to play, you know, the old standards and stuff. I tell you, boy, those old those old musicians, you know, that's really, you know, I always like older musicians. It was something about older musicians, even when I was young, that I liked more than the younger ones. And because I mean, they had so much substance, you know. I mean, the young cats. You know they got the fire, but they lack the substance. They no bottom there. You know, I mean, you can you can get high on, you know, technique all you want to, but if if there ain't no soul in that, you know, it you're gonna get bored of it real quick. <laughs> Absolutely, without a doubt. So speaking of soul, I'm gonna kind of go into Charlie Parker here. Talk about the experiences that you had with the Charlie Parker Foundation. Oh man, it was the best. You know that was that was really you know what I needed at the time because I was coming out of uh, you know after I went through um, high school and you know I was just playing ears you know that I wasn't really you know reading you know because I said I wasn't going to be a musician you know I was still bent on not being a musician <laughs> I ain't gonna be no musician I'm gonna go ahead and do this electronic thing you know and get more money 
and everything, you know. But see, when, but then I, you know, I won this stupid award, you know, about you know being such a soloist and everything on this ballad that I was playing, this old standard ballad called "Little Girl Blue," and so they got me. Uh, you know, he said, well, you can use this money, you know, to further, you know, what you want to do. And so I'm sitting up at the crossroads, whether I was going to be a musician or not. And so I finally figured out that I said, well, okay, we'll try this musician. If I Because they were telling me, if you learn how to read, you'll be, you know, you'll be able to kind of, you know, conquer a lot of things that you wouldn't do if you didn't learn how to read. So I went on it. So I, so I tried it, and so I got into the college and there was a cat named Marlon Cooper, and he was reading. He was a reader, you know. As a matter of fact, you know, Marlon's still alive now, and uh, you know, he he helped me, you know, you know, put my thing together, but you know, and helped me in the classical side. I was doing a lot of hard classical stuff and everything, and uh, recitals and all that kind of stuff like that. So I was really built up, you know. And then he also had a little band that we played in. So then when I after that, I was getting, you know, still growing, and so. I was wanting to uh, get to uh, a place, you know, with more with a, with another musician. I needed another like jazz musician uh, from the old school, and so we were thinking about going to UMKC, and we'll come find out that that wasn't going to work because uh, you know my grades weren't high enough to get in there for one thing. The man wanted me in there for the soloist part of me, but. You know, they figured, you know, they were so high on, you know, your grades had to be so high before you walk in there. And I said, oh, man, this is crazy. So my mom finally, you know, was looking in the paper and saw this here thing about Charlie Parker. And she said, you know, you ought to try this. You know, they had some tryouts and things about the Parker Academy. So I went on and, and went there, and there was some tryouts to a building. And so I met a lot of people, and they heard me play some of my hard classical stuff. And, uh, you know, they kind of liked me, you know, and they said, yeah, you know. And so then that's that's really where it started right there. And then Ed, I got to meet Ed, and then I, I was into also Charlie Parker, freshly into Charlie Parker. Uh, and, you know, we didn't have no Omni books or anything at that time. So, I mean, I had to, like, you know, do the old bit with, you know, take the record and slow it down to 16, you know, and, and, and try to get those uh, licks and things down that way. And I still have those original writings, you know, that I did at that time period, you know, through a lot of that hard stuff like uh, Cherokee and, you know, they called it Coco and uh, a lot of stuff like that. And so, I mean, I had all this stuff up under my belt, so I went in to Parker Academy, and I had this stuff memorized, and so I was back to him, and it just kind of floored them. You know, they said, wow, he said, you know all this? I said, yeah, I said, I love Charlie Parker, because he had so much of the information of the uh, how, to, how to play, you know, around, you know, jazz, the chords and things, because there was nobody else. I mean, there was like, Grover Washington was another cat, but... You know, I could tell Grover was coming from Charlie Parker because Grover was using some of the same kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, Charlie. Uh, anyway, you know, when I got with Char uh, Charlie Parker, and that was it. You know, and uh, uh, Eddie Baker was the, the leader of the, the whole clan, and see, Ed had a big band. You know, that sounded like Count Basie, and and that was exciting. And then also there was he had a, a host of teachers around there. And uh, that's why I met Ahmad Aladdin. But at that time, his name was Richard White, and Aladdin was one of the baddest cats that I've ever been around. Uh, that uh, you know, that knew you know a lot of tricks of the trade, 
uh, of playing and everything, and a real nice, nice cat, you know, to be around. And he just taught me a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, that I, I, I do, you know, these days, you know, to uh, to survive. You know, I mean, it's like you call it the tricks of the trades, kind of like, you know, of a, of a uh, experienced, uh, you know, uh, saxophone player. And so uh, it was just, they were just, you know, getting me ready. They were just polishing me up, so to speak, you know. And I was doing a lot of hard uh, classical stuff with them, too, a lot of Marcel Mulet stuff, you know, the, uh, you know, and it was it, it was beautiful, you know, and like it was just you know Charlie Parker Foundation did a lot for me. I just I mean there was like a lot of musicians. There was Sonny Kenner down there. There was a cat named uh, Hurley Dent, an old guitarist. He was uh, you know really nice. I mean I remember when I came in first came in there and he heard me playing an old standard. You know, and he came up to the room where I was playing, and he said, "Man, he said that you." He said, "Yeah." He said, "Man, you said oh, sure sound good." You know, and, I, and and to have, you know, an older musician that old sit up there and tell tell me a young cat, you know, that you know you really sound good. You know, that really pushed me even more. You know, so uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to put keep this kind of small because I could rattle on and on about this. But no, no, that's good. I was going to actually stop and ask you about Eddie Baker. What kind of influence was he on you, and what did you learn from him? Uh, well, I learned. I told him that I wanted to play piano, but I didn't want to, uh, you know, play a whole lot of piano. You know, I wanted to play enough piano where that, you know, I could, you know, uh, assess the chords and things. Because actually, you know, I was since I was, you know, a soloist, you know, instead of worrying about, you know, uh, playing a piano like like you would do a horn or something, you know, I just wanted. Just to understand, you know, like if I get into a situation of uh, of, a, of a tune and I don't understand it, you know, outside of trying to play it on the horn, playing the chords that way, I could get to the piano and I could play the chords and it'll help me understand it. It'll make me more stronger in understanding, you know, stuff. And then also, you know, I was a composer too, so I had these ideas and things about other stuff. So Ed was the one that uh, helped me put that together. He had a uh, a little basic system, you know, on how to play piano, and we would be tossing things back and forth to each other, back and forth. And uh, he had that big band, and uh, there was a lot of notable cats in that big band. I mean, it, it was um, uh, Ben Kennard, for one thing. Uh, he was playing lead alto in that. You know, I mean, that band that Ed had was, uh, I never heard anything like it back here in Kansas City. I mean, it was an experience. Big man, it was just it, it reminded me of Count Basie. Matter of fact, it was the closest thing I could hear, you know, from you know hearing Count Basie was the next best thing, you know, because he had a lot of uh, really uh, cold-blooded musicians, and I met those musicians, and they they all just loved me and they just helped me, and so Ed, you know, was uh, you know always you know happy and 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 trying to help me, you know, and 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 during those times, you know, it was. Everything was on the up and up, and Ed had so much stuff going on with the Charlie Parker Academy. It was crazy. It was really crazy. It was good. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, he had like it was one time. I got to tell you this. It was one time he scared Kansas City, and and because Kansas City at that time they didn't uh, the people that were running it uh, didn't uh, understand that Kansas City had a jazz heritage. They wasn't pushing Kansas City that way. You know, uh, even though I mean there was music, you know, some of the musicians coming in Kansas City, 
you know, in the, in the jazz clubs back here. Uh, but they, you know, but the folks that were running it, according to what Ed was telling me, you know, they just wasn't paying attention to it, you know. And so, Ed uh, had new had, had connections and things to a lot of the uh, known musicians. He knew Count Basie. Uh, he knew uh, a lot of folks. He knew uh, Dizzy Gillespie. I mean, he knew all these cats. They were all funneling, you know, to Charlie Parker. You know, I, you know, when you go to Charlie Parker, you never know who you liable to meet in that in that place. <laughs> there. And you know, uh, uh, that was one of the most exciting things about Charlie Parker. And uh, it was just. You know, it, it was, oh, man, it was, you just never know who you like to follow, you know, who you like to see. And But there, there was a big jazz festival that Ed did, and it floored Kansas City. I mean, it made Kansas City say, hey, there is, uh, you know, Kansas City does have a jazz background, you know. And, uh, you know, because he brought, I think it was about 1979 or 78, you know, the left Dave Brubeck, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but it was uh, it was just a it was just a giant jazz festival. It was the biggest one that Kansas City ever experienced. I mean, it was it was beautiful. You know, he did it at the auditorium. Uh, they, he had stuff playing there. He had uh, 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 with um, the Mule Bob Count Basie did a was playing at the auditorium thing, and also. Uh, Ed was uh, featuring me and Scott Robinson because, you know, Scott was down at the Academy, too, so he was pushing him and me together as a duo, you know, and so we were playing with, you know, Milt Abel and and folks like that, uh, Carol Comer and all of them, and, uh, you know, you know we were, you know, out on stages and things playing. So, I mean, hey, you know, Eddie Baker done so much, uh, you know, it's ridiculous. Now, the only bad part I can say about Ed was money, which you probably heard. You know, he's probably bad on money. You know, so he starts grasping at straws, you know, trying to make ends meet. So, you know, he get, he got desperate. So basically that's, you know, really, if you heard any negative things about Ed, it was because, of, you know, he was trying to hold on and he was my money and your money and everybody that he was supposed to give you. <laughs> to try to keep Parker Parker Academy you know, alive. But uh, when things were when things because there was Parker Academy used to be up under a system called the CETA, CETA system. And that place was uh, the CETA, CETA system. And, you know, they had money coming in there and it was beautiful. You know, I mean, like, it was just, it was one of the best things, you know, that I ever experienced. You know, it didn't, so... That's that's about it there. Well, what I was going to ask you too, kind of playing off of that, obviously Bird had a profound influence on you. And from what I, I what I can understand, you can play his solos note for note. So my question is this: How influential was Bird on your playing and your music? Very, very. Because I mean, he was I, I, he was the main basis for me playing, even though I had my own thing. Uh, you know, you have you know, Bird was the the, the main section that made me uh, play up against any uh, kind of chords. You know, uh, I would play you know in a Bird type style at that particular time, and it just you know it kept me uh, afloat. No matter you know what kind of tune I played, you know I could always lay back on the riffs and things like that. 
that he was playing. And so it, it kind of gave me a, a firm basis, a grip on, you know, whatever I was doing, you know, because if I didn't have that, you know, it would have been uh, kind of daunting. You know, you wouldn't, you couldn't, from the listener standpoint, you couldn't tell exactly what I was doing. I wouldn't sound professional to you, to a, you know, to a point, you know. But with Bird, you know, he he just encompasses all all of that. And see, like I say, at that time, that was, uh, you know, my main influence. You know, was to learn all those Bird licks and try to use them in as many situations as possible at that time. And Eddie Baker was, uh, you know, we would go out to the bird's grave and say even before, you know, they're doing it now, but we did it even when it wasn't popular, you know, because, you know, since uh, Eddie Baker, you know, named it after Charlie Parker, you know, we saw after the grave, the the stone and everything, and we, you know, did a lot of uh, uh, ceremonies and things, private ceremonies and things about it. I mean about it about about Charlie Parker, and that was before they put the saxophone. They finally engraved the saxophone on his uh, uh, gravestone. But the only thing I tell you, the thing that still pisses me off about that is that whoever uh, you know, and that's what that's what the problem is even these days. Now the people that are in control, uh, they're not listening to the musician. Uh, they put the wrong saxophone, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's and, a tenor saxophone on there, you know, and man. and that's what I'm saying, you know. See, the, you know, and that 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 that, te- that tells you, you know, that that's stupid, you know. You know, the people wasn't listening because if if they would have listened to the musician, you know, he would have said that's an alto and would have had it right. So every time I go to that grave and I see that, I say, ooh, that's bad, you know. You know, and see, you got, you know, pe- you know, you know, birds known around the world, you know. So I mean, like to have people that's coming out of the, you know. Uh, from other countries and things coming back here to see that, that just shows what the, you know, that tells you what the city is thinking about, you know. They don't, uh, uh, you know, it's bad to say, but they don't care about us musicians, you know. I mean, we're striving right now. It's, it, it's a hard deal, you know. But, it you know, but that shows, you know, that their interest is really not, you know, in, in trying to better the the musical part, you know. And, and, and Bird was, you know, certainly one of the, the, the greatest people that ever walked this earth musically. He was something else, you know, so uh that's that's where that goes, man. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. Let me ask you this. Were there any other musicians that had an impact on the way you played and approached music? Are you kidding, man? There was so many folks it was ridiculous. Like I say, all those all the musicians. Yeah, you know, I was influenced upon the old 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 older musicians, so I mean I could hear all this substance and everything and I was frustrated with myself because I wasn't old enough. You know, I was I remember I told my mother, I said, you know, I said, I want to get old like the rest of the musicians because I can hear the sepsiness. Yet I had I mean you can still hear some sepsiness out of me, but it wasn't for me, knowing me musically, I you know, I wanted I was lacking the substance, you know, that the older musicians had, you know, the flexibility, the styling and everything. And that comes from uh, a whole lot of things that comes from living, you know, because it's a lifetime. You know, if you're a you know a real musician, you know, you're never through learning. You know, you're uh, it's constant. Uh, you're in this tunnel forever until you die. You know, it's you know I, that's why I kind of when I see musicians walking around that are you know got a big head and all that kind of stuff. You know, I just you know say you know you're not there at all because it's not about you know you. You know, it's it's about. Uh, you know, it's a spirit. It's a spirit type of a thing. You know, and it's 
You know, it's it's like I said, it's a lifetime type of a thing. You you just can't do it. so. Yeah, there were so many musicians uh, that I was influenced about both locally and internationally through the years. It's you know it's ridiculous, and I'm to this point right now where that I have just just about checked out everybody and used everybody and I'm still and I'm I listen to everybody even even is bird you know that, that was early on I mean I still have a little bird in me uh but I'm also you know avant-garde I have Coltrane I have my my last major influence was Eric Dolphy and that was the one where I had to go to New York because Kansas City at that time just wasn't holding it you know for me I had to go to where the some of the musicians that played with Eric Dolphy uh, had to go see them, you know, at, at least, if anything else, to get uh, confirmation, you know, that I was correct in what I was doing, you know, and everything. And uh, I got with Ted Kirsten, who used to play with Eric Dolphy and uh, Charles Mingus. And, and uh, you know, I got with him, and he, he loved me. You know, he wanted me to stay with him, you know. Uh, you know, we, we, we got together on some jam sessions and made them sound like they were our set, you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Would have, he would bring all his trumpets, and I've had let me see let me see I had my old bass clarinet with me and my flute and and my saxophone, and we would get together and we would play. I remember some real good times playing down at the Blue Note uh, down there and everything uh, with with Ted, and also with Woody Shaw and uh, a lot of other you know notable folks when I was down in New York. So man, like I say, it's just you know it's it it and then not only. Uh, you know, it's influenced not only, you know, horn players, but it's, I mean, piano players. I mean, like, I mean, I like Ray Bryant. I like a lot of folks that, uh, you know, I just like to, you know, if I hear something that that really sounds beautiful to me, I don't care what instrument they play, you know, it's influencing me. So that's, yeah, it's just a ton of folks, man. <laughs> that's all right. No, that's cool. That's a good offshoot of your bio, too. You go to New York. What brought you back to Kansas City? You said it wasn't holding it. So what brought you back? Well, and actually, my parents, my father, for one thing, my father wasn't doing too well. He was sick. Uh, my parents were getting up in age in general, so I had to come back. And I was the, I'm the only child um, that they could trust, so to speak, um, you know. And, I mean, because I was still living with my parents at that time, which is, you know, kind of unusual, you know. But, I mean, in a way it's not because... Uh, you know, some folks, you know, instead of, you know, growing up and then going and getting married, you know, they, some of them do stay home. So I was the one doing that because it made, it made sense to me. And, see, I love my parents, and being with my parents was just like uh, uh, more than friends. I mean, you know, they were my parents, but, you know, we had a good time together. And, and it just made sense, you know. I mean, like if I would have met a, a girl that got married or something, then maybe I would have went out, but never did meet any girl that, uh, you know, made me want to do that, so it just made me home. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my parents, my, my father wasn't feeling good, and later on he passed, and then it was just me and my mom, and um, uh, at, that's that's what kind of kept me there. But I, I left numbers and things to a lot of folks, you know, and I said, look, I said, if you need me, I said, give me a call, you know, and everything, and Ted Kirsten gave me a uh, postcard, you know, said he wanted me, but I never did hear from him again. And you know, I mean, they did a lot of promises, but you know, the, they never did come back on anything. So, I was talking to somebody, I can't remember who it was, but they were telling me they said that uh, 
you know, eventually I'm going to have to come back to New York. Uh, you know, and I had two options, either to do it at that time or wait until about my 60s before, you know, coming back because I made such an impact, you know, with some of the baddest musicians there, some of the top musicians there, you know, and they want, you know, they said, you have a good talent and we need to, you know, better that. So I'm kind of on that option right now. So, uh, you know, I'm eventually, I'm eventually go back and, and hopefully everything will come back together, you know, and I'll do hopefully some recordings and some other stuff. Beautiful. So speaking of other cats and, and, and people you play with, Gerald Spates, what is it like to perform with him? Oh, it's fun. He's uh he's you know, Gerald's kinda like half classical and, and half jazz and that's what I am. I'm kinda you know, half classical and half jazz. And uh, you know, Gerald uh he plays uh uh you know, bass and we upright bass, but you know, I always love upright bass. Uh and, you know, we just, you know, together we both get into a thing, uh he sets up one thing and then I take it someplace else, you know, which is that's the way it's supposed to be for, uh, you know, really good musicians that listen. You know, the key thing is listening. You know, we all listen. And uh, Gerald has, uh, uh, you know, he, Gerald always been around me. You know, look like every time I turn around, I always see him. And he always, you know, in, in the right places at the right time. I mean, he hooked me up. When I came back from New York, he. You know, I was kind of wasn't too sure, you know, what I was going to do. And he called me and said, "Well, there's an opening uh, to uh, play Russ Long, you know, down at Crown Center." And uh, I said, "He said, yeah, check it out, because cause they had Kim Park down there at the time, but they were getting tired of Kim because Kim was acting crazy, and, and so they wanted somebody else. And so I was, I was the best bet. So Gerald got me hooked up with." Uh, uh, Russ Long, and that was the best connection. You know, I love Russ. You know, past you know, and he, uh, uh, you know, he was one of the best piano players I played around, and I had a good time. You know, with uh, uh, Russ Long. You know, very close. I got very close to him. He and I were, uh, you know. <laughs> really close, you know, musical-wise and everything. So, I mean, you know, Gerald always did, you know, I mean, he was always there at the, seemed like at the right time, you know, doing the right things, you know, you know, playing the right kind of music. I mean, you know, we do this, uh, sometimes we do duets together, sometimes we'll do, uh, you know, trios. It just kind of depends on what the situation involves, you know. So Gerald is one of the cats that I like playing you know, to say to say the least, you know. So he's he's one of the musicians, one of the main musicians that I like to stay with when I'm when I'm here. <laughs> right on, man. I, I, I guess it's it's a two part question. What what do you like the most about Kansas City, and what do you think about all of these young cats that are coming out, like Herman Mahari, kind of this crop of musicians that's. Uh, coming out of UMKC and Bobby Watson's program? Uh, well, okay, the young cats, you know, they're just like the way I was when I was young. Basically, one of the things, they're coming out of a, a um, like a university kind of like thing, you know. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, when I was in New York, you know, they were saying that, you know, since the old musicians were dying and, and everything, you know, they needed, you know, some place to leave this legacy of jazz, and so 
you know, they decided to, you know, give it to the universities and stuff like that because those folks were coming up. Uh, but, you know, the, there's a good side and a bad side to it because you've got a lot of folks coming out of those universities and things, but there's no place for them to gig because there's not that many places to gig. And, uh, you know, so it's an over-glutton type of a thing. So it, it's kind of hard for them. And so they get kind of frustrated sometimes. Uh, and I think, you know, since they're, they're 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 coming up, you know, they got to learn the ropes, you know. And I was lucky because I was around a lot of old musicians. And basically that's part of jazz, you know. You need to learn. I mean, technically-wise, you got one part of it, but I got a third of it. But then see, the other part of jazz has to be, you know, from uh, from the street, you know, type things, you know, and then also from living, so you got to live. So it's going to take some time uh, for for them, you know, like it did for me, you know, to uh, get get their act together. I mean, they all sound promising. You know, what I'm hearing basically is uh, a lot of, you know, technique, uh, but I'm also hearing, you know, they don't know as much. You know, and that, that's what kind of floors me a little bit. Why I can't play with them too much because I mean, like I'm I'm used to having musicians that know, you know, what's going on around the corner, you know, musically, you know, and have a full background, you know, instead of getting to somebody that's kind of. I don't mind teaching a little bit, you know, because I used to teach for ten years. But basically, you know, that's what they're going to have to come through. They're going to have to timing is you know time. It's going to be time, and hopefully, you know, trying to find themselves, you know, musically-wise, because I can, from listening to them, I can kind of tell, you know, they're still trying to find themselves musically, but I have found myself, you know, because, I mean, you know, heck, I'm, I'm old, <laughs> I'm <getting laughs> crap and everything more than they have, so I have found myself, thank God, and I'm still alive, you know, to uh, uh, to, 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 to do it, you know, and I'm great, grateful for that. So that's the part about them that I'm seeing. You know, we have a a, a, a whole lot of musicians, but not that many gi- uh, gigs. You know, and that's what that's what's bad about Kansas City. I mean, like you know, things are promising. We had like a couple of jazz clubs that got started, and they seemed like they were, you know, getting ready to you know be promising, and then ended up you know they fell against the wayside. You know, I mean, it's uh, uh, take five for one you know place. You know that. They, they they went down. They tried to you know hold their thing together, but that didn't happen. And uh, you know I can't remember the circumstances around that. You know, and then the the uh, let me see the green lady. Now that cat there that's that's operating, he's uh, he's he's getting kind of for some reason he kind of fell out with the older musicians or around my age for some reason or other. So he got mad. So now he's he's pro on the young folks, you know. That's kind of bad because I mean that's kind of, you know, that's kind of a, a double-edged sword because I'm like, you know, you can't do that. You you can't cut one part of a musician in half, you know, and not you know cuz they both need each other. The young needs the old, you know. You can't just have, you know, nothing but young on that side. That's that, that that's that's mono, you know. That that's stupid. But you know, but I guess, you know, the man's got to learn, you know. And so I mean, he still has that club and everything and You've got the younger musicians playing there, uh, so it's you know, you know we'll see what happens. But like I say, I don't I don't really see that flying, you know, because that's not right. You know, you need you know jazz needs to be, uh, you know, you need to have the combination of the old and the young together, you know, because that's how I came up. I came up that way. I mean, I was young, but I was I was concentrating on the old. 
So um, it, you know, I would say it's a little better in some ways as far as uh, how it used to be. Uh, you know, it had Kansas City. I mean, Kansas City had its ups and downs as far as jazz is concerned. You know, some peaks and valleys. Uh, sometimes things would go real well, other years, and then other other times it just kind of goes to the wayside. But that's what's going on right now. So I, you know, as far as what I think, Kansas City. I'm I live I like Kansas because you know you you have a little bit of a jazz community here. And uh, they, they they seem to want you know they, they they seem you know to you know want jazz the way it should be you know they seem to be striding for that you know but sometimes you know like I say the ups and downs of it you know gets a little frustrating sometimes you know because uh, uh, you know we really you know jazz musicians need to play as much as possible and a lot of folks uh, you know get fed up and they go to New York. And, and then from there, they usually go to Europe uh, because, you know, jazz is accepted more there. You and I've been kind of thinking, you know, that way. You know, I've never been to Europe, but uh, folks that uh, have, you know, musicians like Carmel Jones, I love Carmel Jones. Man, he was back here. He was, he was one of the, uh, looking at him, looking at, uh, you know, Charlie Parker and, called it uh, Ellington and stuff. I mean, because he was so, you know, he had the looks, you know, and and the sound and the way you talk and the whole thing, you know. So, I mean, you know, it's very important to be around, you know, uh, you know, musicians like that, you know, if you're really into jazz, you know. So, you know, it, like I say, it's peaks and valleys with Kansas City, but it's, you know, like I say, it, you know, it's, I guess, you know, just the way life is back here, you know. It's in some ways I know it's better than other places I hear. Uh because I mean, you know, Kansas City does have a background and with uh since Bobby Watson's been back here, Bobby has been um helping, you know, to try to put that back the way it is because I mean like you know we, there's always New York, then there's LA, then there's Chicago, you know, but you know, we need to, you know, concentrate more on Kansas City getting stronger. You know, right now it's not as strong as it should be. And hopefully, before I die, you know, I don't know, I'm hoping, you know, that it'll change and get even stronger. We don't have to peak alleys, we more steady. Uh, and one of the ways you can kind of tell because uh, of uh, of that is if it's, if it's getting stronger, you know, there'll be like more music stores, and I mean big music stores like the Brassman and the Woodwind. That's a that's a huge music store like that. I mean, the big cities they have those stores. I mean, like musicians like me can go to one of those great big stores, and we can select a whole lot of different horns and things, you know just off the shelf, you know, and try them, you know. But see, Kansas City doesn't have anything like that. They used to have, there was a place called Jenkins a long time ago, I think in the 50s and the 60s. And that was the best that I think I ever saw Kansas City had as far as uh, stores, uh, musical stores and things like that, you know, where you could, you know, and try, you know, horns and things off the shelf and everything. But see, that's gone now. So now the only thing left are these little bitty places, Libens. Now, Libens is a good place, but it's small, you know. And yeah. She has to go out, and when she gets your instrument, she has to go out and pick pick those instruments and bring about maybe three or four of them back for you to check, 
you know, to 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 play. And you know, she's she's good, you know, like her father. You know, so I mean, she's you know, matter of fact, she she picked a clarinet for me that I'm playing that I just absolutely love. You know, <laughs> and, and you know and everything. But you know, you just you know, I would like to you know have Kansas City where there'll be a nice big music store. You know, a huge music store like it is, like you find it if you go to L.A., if you go to Chicago, if you go to New York. You know, that's that's what I would like to see, and that's and that's a good indicator of how strong the music is in a. Uh, thing like that instead of these little bitty stores and things, you know. So it's just, you know, a matter of time, I hope, you know, I hope, uh, you know, it'll get stronger. But like I say, we're kind of in like, you know, we're kind of going up and down these peaks and valleys and things that are going on right now. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how history works. Charles, I, I, I man, I think you answered everything that I was looking for. Thank you. Have a good day. You too, man. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Charles for all of those stories, his time, and making Kansas City a cooler jazz town. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com for all things neon jazz until next time enjoy the music my friends neon jazz